Welcome to Victory Christian Center. You're about to hear from our senior pastor, Pastor Stefan Schlugel, as he brings a message to the church on a Sunday service. This morning, uh, um, we just finished off in the last few weeks, we finished off a series of messages on the subject of end times. This morning, I would like to speak to you about God's provision for our lives. Uh, in fact, the message or the series is entitled, God Always Provides. Today's part one, and I would like to speak to you uh, about God's covenant of prosperity. And for that, I want to just start with a verse of scripture, then we're going to pray, and then we're going to launch out. So is everybody ready to launch out? Let's do it. Psalm 111, verse 1 through to verse 5, and I'm reading from the Amplified Translation. It says, Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I will praise and give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the counsel of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, sought out by all those who delight in them. His work is honorable and glorious, and His righteousness endures forever. He has made His wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious, merciful, and full of uh, and full of loving compassion. And here it is, verse 5. He says, He has given food and provision to those who reverently and worshipfully fear Him. He will remember His covenant forever and imprint it on His mind. And if you've got a pen in your hand, circle the word there, provision. The Bible says here that God gives food and provision to those who reverently and worshipfully fear Him. How many of us are people that fear God? All right, your hand should be up because we're all people that fear God. All right. Um, you know, at the beginning of the lockdown, um, of course, lockdown is now behind us, but at the beginning of it, uh, we emphasized uh, uh, God's word around the area of protection. And we spoke about uh, that living in God's protection in troubled times. Uh, really felt that that was the pertinent issue at the time protection from trouble, protection from plagues, protection from virus, and so forth. And that's now largely behind us. Uh, this morning and now after the lockdown, I would like to emphasize God's provision. So we're moving from God's protection to God's provision. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the lockdown um, and the resulting lack of productivity uh, has really resulted in a considerable economic downturn. And of course, when people are virtually in house arrest, can't go out to pursue their, their employment or carry on with their essential business activities that they would normally do unless they were part of what they called essential services, there's people up down the country for weeks on end, they're not productive, uh, they're not being you know, producing anything. And that was kind of forced on us. Uh, uh, and uh, really, this uh, effect of the economic downturn uh, that I would like to briefly touch on, it hasn't been fully realized yet. There's been a delayed effect, a delayed reaction, uh, but it's coming. All right. Um, and uh, the reason why it has not been fully realized yet is because there's been a massive government spend up through the wage subsidy and various other monies that were handed out to, uh, to help to tie people over uh, and so forth. But, you know, we need to realize that in the long run, government cannot cushion the population from the inevitable. Um, 
you know, government cannot, cannot uh, borrow the, prop, the, the population into prosperity. It just can't be done. Whatever is borrowed must be paid back. Um, nor can governments tax a population into prosperity. That can't be done either, even though sometimes that, that's what they're saying, you know, this is all towards the nation's prosperity. So there's a few things going on that, uh, in, in very brief terms, uh, the New Zealand government debt currently sits at $138 billion. Um, and there is information of that uh, available on the website. In fact, I, I saw one website there where the government debt, uh, uh, the number is like the world population. You know, the numbers are constantly moving, and you watch this thing, and it goes up in staggering figures every second, every minute. It's just incredible, uh, the borrowing that goes on right now. And the borrowing goes on so that, as it were, to cushion people like you and me from the reality uh, and some of that might well be necessary to a certain point, but you know, you can't keep on borrowing because at a certain point, it's all got to be paid back. You know, this government debt, if it were divided up amongst the five um, million people that we have in New Zealand now, it will total out at $29,326 per head of population. That was as per last night. This morning, it's probably already closer to $30,000 because it keeps on moving. All right. Now, of course, that includes every child, um, every, that includes everybody. Uh, if you were to redo uh, that calculation and only tally, you know, kind of divide out amongst the working population, it'll be up closer to $100,000 per person uh, that's working in New Zealand that's paying taxes. Um, and... Um, and that's besides personal borrowing that people have, okay? This is all government debt that we say, oh, the government's borrowed it. No, we have borrowed it as a nation, all right? And we have to pay it back. Uh, that's how it works. These people in there are actually working for us, you realize. Uh, they're, all, they're all working for us. We gave them a mandate to be there. In fact, I didn't give a mandate to these people that are there now. I certainly did not, all right? but they're all really, in some respects, they are employees. <laughs> anyway, uh, government debt has gone from 20% of uh, GDP to 55%. Uh, GDP is gross uh, domestic product uh, of everything that our nation produces. Uh, in fact, we were really quite in good shape uh, before this whole lockdown uh, and a couple of years earlier because we had a very prudent national government uh, prior to that. And one man that's been credited uh, with that success, and his name was Bill English, who was the finance minister and who's done absolutely a marvelous and a fantastic job to, to help us, uh, you know, to manage the country's uh, uh, finances, uh, government's finances throughout the whole deal with the Christchurch earth earthquake and everything else. And now the, the debt's just gone into orbit. Uh, it's just unbelievable. They're saying that uh, debt is likely to go to 100% of GDP. Uh, th these are staggering sums, friends. Uh, and, uh, and of course, government does not, does not uh, own GDP. Government only gets taxes from GDP. So, you know, really, it's government's ability to pay these things back um, at a certain point. Uh, and of course, when we look around the world, we're actually not doing too bad compared to other countries. I mean, some of them are just unbelievably in debt. But I'm saying that uh, it's, it's not good what's going on right now. See, many businesses 
Businesses have already closed permanently um, and will most likely not be starting up. So a lot of the smaller business businesses that were a little bit on the edge, touch and go before the lockdown, well, uh, the lockdown was the final straw, so to speak, uh, and uh, they're now gone. And of course, businesses employ people, all right? Uh, and there's businesses that are faltering right now that will disappear. It is estimated within the next uh, three to six months uh, and will be gone. Because uh, sometimes there's a reconfiguring. Some of them are coming back in again and, uh, and so forth. But, you know, many small businesses uh, established on personal borrowing of the business owner uh, and, and so forth. And when that money is still there and the business is gone, then these people cannot borrow more and more money to start another business. So, in other words, employment opportunities will be shrunk down. Um, and uh, of course, unemployment rates are rising. And I'm, I need to say all of that. I'm telling you the bad news at the front end because there is good news for us as believers. But, but this is a bit of a reality check, friends, because people say, oh, we're out of the lockdown. Things are not so bad. Well, watch this space. Bad days are coming economically. Uh, and we need to be aware of that. And we should be planning towards that or certainly uh, preparing for it with our faith. You know, an economic recession seems inevitable. Uh, they talk about, you know, uh, the bit of a slowdown in the economy, a shrinking of the economy. Of course, when the economy shrinks, uh, unemployment rises, people are on the dole queue, people are looking for work, and, and a lot of people are applying for, for the one job. There's just not enough work to go around. Um, and uh, so the reality is that some people even speak of a depression. Uh, now, most of the young people, you don't know what the depression looks like. Uh, you've never lived in one. Uh, and, uh, you know, many of us have never lived in a depression. But when they talk about depression days, uh, it's, just, uh, it's just horrible stuff. I'm not saying it'll necessarily happening. But some people that are watching this space, they're saying, oh, gosh, you know, we're hoping there's a chance that we would. But we're hoping we don't go into a depression economically. Our, prime Minister, our former Prime Minister, John Key, has been interviewed around the whole thing of what's going on right now. And, you know, he's a smart man. Uh, whether you liked him or not like him is, is not the point. He's a smart man. Uh, when they asked him, is, what do you see and, and what, do, what is your assessment of the current situation and where we're going economically? He said, I've run out of adjectives to describe what we are seeing. Uh, you know, the word bad is an adjective. The word concerning is an adjective, uh, so he's ran out of adjectives. Uh, that's, what, that's his way of describing things. So, friends, you and I, it's got, as God's people, we are now in faith territory as far as God's provision is concerned. The need for us to walk by faith is stronger today than it was, say, last year when all seemed well. Um, we didn't know this was coming, um, and uh, part of it is behind us, um, and people are now breathing a sigh of relief. Oh, I didn't die. Oh, I'm out of lockdown. You. Oh, I didn't get the virus. And you know, that was one issue, um, and um, because most people that got the virus didn't die anyway. Uh, but anyway, uh, we, we, we passed that for the time being, and uh, we now don't have the, so much the concern regarding protection from the virus, but we're now dealing with the provision part and the fallout of what's happened. Um, you know, the economic forecast, in short, is not looking good for the foreseeable future. Um, 
They say that the economy uh, will at some point bounce back, uh, but of course government debt will need to be uh, repaid. And the only way that government can repay debt is to increase taxes uh, and to look for more money from the population. Um, and, uh, you know, this is now a good time for us to look into God's word and to look to God and to feed on his faithfulness uh, in a renewed way. And many of you are doing that as part of your part of your daily spiritual exercises. You're feeding on God's goodness and on his faithfulness. But I'm saying let's do it in a renewed way because we need to raise our faith level to live in tough days economically because they are more certainly coming. We've built our faith on God's wonderful promises. And today's message is designed to help to raise your faith level and my faith level so that we can do well in days of challenge. Uh, you know, they say, build your faith in the times of peace so that your faith is working in the time of war. Build your faith in the good days so your faith is working in the lean days. We've just read a portion of Scripture out of Psalm 111. And I want to reread verse 4 and verse 5, which tells us that God gives food and provision to those who reverently and worshipfully fear him. He will remember his covenant forever and imprint it on his mind. You know, sometimes we say that, uh, and these are all in a sense faith statements that are good to be repeated uh, out aloud because it imprints on our heart that God is a prayer answering God and God is a covenant keeping God. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that covenant that God has made with us. He tells us that he provides food, that he gives food and provision to those who reverently and worshipfully, worshipfully fear him. Uh, he remembers his covenant forever. God does not forget his covenant. It says here in the latter part of verse 5 that he imprints it on his mind. He doesn't occasionally think about it. God thinks about the covenant that he's made with you and me all the time. God looks at you and he thinks about the covenant that he has with you. And when we look to God, we should think about the covenant that he has with us. Because if we have a covenant, then we can, we can extend our faith towards the things that God has promised us by covenant. But if we haven't got a covenant, then there is no faith. Because faith is all based on promises that God has spoken towards us, which is all covenant detail. It's all covenant promises based around the covenant, that agreement that is made with us. So when you became a Christian, you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. It means that God entered into covenant with you, that covenant that God has established between, actually it's a covenant between, between God the Father and Jesus Christ. In fact, we go right, if we had time, we could swing right back into the covenant that God established there with Abraham, and we're all children of Abraham. 
And when, when uh, Abraham went to sleep, is that uh, Genesis chapter 12? I forget now exactly where it is. And God says, I want to enter into covenant with a man called Abraham. Abraham, get all the animals in place and lay everything out. And, uh, and uh, Abraham did exactly that. And then when Abraham was ready, he went to the side and he went to sleep. A big, deep sleep came upon him. And the Bible says that there was a, a burning lamp and a smoking oven, something like a smoking oven that ran in between the pieces to make a covenant. And that is indicative that God the Father, who is also called the consuming fire, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who is called the Word of God, that's referenced to the lamp of God, made a covenant with each other. And Jesus Christ, God the Word, became a man. And if you're born again today, you're in Christ. And you're a partaker of this covenant. Whew. Matthew chapter 26, verse 27, 28, speaks about uh, Jesus sharing his last supper with his disciples before he went to the cross. It was called the last supper, but it's actually the first communion, if you like. Uh, when we talk about sharing communion together, we share bread and, and the cup. And this is where it, had, it has its origins. He took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, each of you. Don't any of you let it pass you by. Each of you drink from it. For this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out, meaning his blood. Jesus' blood is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. So the shed blood of Jesus Christ, of course it wasn't physical blood. They had wine in their cup. And, and he says, this represents my blood. You, you all drink from it. Every one of you. Don't let the cup pass you by. I want to get into covenant with every one of you. I want the blood of Jesus Christ, as it were, to apply to every single one of you. That's why when we come together and we started that uh, just before lockdown, we decided that it's good for us to share communion every Sunday because it reminds us of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross at Calvary, that he shed his own blood and his body was broken, that healing is available for us. Forgiveness of sins is available for us. And as uh, 1 Corinthians is chapter 11 tells us that each time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Of course, we not only remember Jesus when we share communion together, but we remember what he's done on the cross. So the shed blood of Jesus has ratified or confirmed the new covenant, this new agreement that God has made with his people. Everyone who has surrendered their life to Jesus Christ and accepted him as their Lord and Savior is part of that covenant. So my friend, if you're born again, if you have converted to Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
and by the way, it's got to be both. Savior and Lord, Lord and Savior. You can't have a Savior if you don't want him as Lord. Right. <laughs> okay. You're a part of that covenant. And this covenant, it includes several things, and I'll just list some of the headlines. This is not an exhaustive list, but it's probably uh, some of the, uh, most certainly most of the headlines here. It includes forgiveness of sins and eternal life. I mean, Jesus just said, he says, this is my blood put out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Not of all, of many. How many of us are part of the many? <laughs> We've availed ourselves of what Jesus Christ has done by surrendering our life to putting our trust in Jesus and what he's done on the cross. We became born again. This covenant also includes healing of the body and the soul. And when we say body and soul, we mean body physical healing available to us today and uh, soul healing as in healing of the soulish issues, emotional issues, healing from memories, healing from depression, healing from, from, you know, things just not being right in people's minds and hearts. Healing is included in that covenant. Protection from plagues, disasters, and calamities. And we spoke about that at the front end of the lockdown, remember, when we talked about walking in God's protection in troubled times. It's, it's a covenant issue. We didn't just sort of pluck it out there and wonder if God will look after us. No, he, he made a promise. He entered into covenant. And you and I are responsible to claim our covenant benefits, know about them, and build our faith because these things don't happen automatically. Because if... If, if they did happen automatically, there's a massive failure across the Christian world where Christians experience all sorts of things that are not included in the covenant in term, or that people are experiencing things that they shouldn't experience. Um, it's because the covenant is not sufficiently taught. Faith is not sufficiently developed. And then faith, we need to learn how to use our faith like you'd have to use a tool. When you get a new tool, you've got to learn how to use that tool. We've been given faith. The Bible says faith comes by hearing. We need to learn how to use that faith. And, of course, besides protection, it also includes provision for our lives. We've got some scripture references there just next to it uh, for, for the space of sake. We, we could just fill the page up uh, with, with promises and scripture references that apply to those uh, let me just turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. Um, it says in verse 18, You shall remember the Lord your God, that it is he who gives you power to get wealth. And just by way of background, God said when you come into the promised land and when you begin to prosper and when you begin to increase, and when you do really well, economically, in every other way, don't say, my might and my power has given me this. He says, you shall remember that it is the Lord your God who has given you power to get wealth. 
And the reason why God's done that is that he may establish or fulfill his covenant with your fathers as it is this day. Covenant goes right back to Abraham. The nation of Israel came out of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God made the covenant with Abraham in proxy, as it were. And then when Isaac came along, God renewed the covenant with him. When Jacob came along, he renewed the covenant with him. And and then when the 12 sons of Jacob came along, which basically are the 12, uh, you know, patriarchs of the the Jewish nation, God renewed the covenant with them. And God said, when you go in there to the land that I've given you, that you haven't paid for, you haven't worked for, I'm giving it to you because I made a covenant with your grandfather. Renewed it with your your great-grandfather, renewed it with the next guy and then with the next guy. He says, I'm giving all of this to you, not because you are so wonderful. He says, because of the covenant that I made with your fathers. See, God's provision for you and me, he considers it a covenant issue. And God's made all provision. That's why we are learning to reach out and be quite bold about this. I know that sometimes people get a little bit, a little bit uneasy when we speak about prosperity. People oh, no, they're talking about money in the church. You know, well, absolutely when we talk about money in the church. Where do people le- learn and how to, <laughs> how to, you know, how to live and how to access the covenant benefits from God? God wants to confirm his covenant with you and your family. He wants to fulfill it in your career. Whether that career, whether you're still studying at university or pursuing some other form of uh, you know, training or something, he wants to do that in your employment. If you've got a business, he wants to fulfill it in your business. You see, God, I'm saying all of that to say this, that God is able to confirm his covenant with his people irrespective of the economy around us. We need to raise our head and our expectation above the economy of the world. That's why typically somewhere along the line when we talk about, you know, tithes and offerings, and when we're talking about let's release our faith now that, that our tithe and the offering, it hooks us into God's economy and lifts us above the world's economy. Now, we're engaged in the world economy. I'm not saying we're completely separate from it, but God's not limited by it. But God is limited by faith. When the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 40, 40-ish somewhere, that speaking about the children of Israel, he says again and again, they limited the Holy One of Israel. How did they limit him? By complaining rather than making faith declarations. They expected the worst rather than the best. They were fearful rather than having a confidence in God's ability to move them out of slavery through the wilderness and on into the promised land. A trip that should have taken all but two weeks and 40 years later, The next generation ended in and the previous guys all died off one by one. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine. 
And I put that scripture in there for no other reason <laughs> that some people will say, oh, you're reading Old Testament. <laughs> but actually, I've sort of come to the place now where, where, you know, in the New Testament, it says that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. If I sit in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, they're all my promises. They're all yes and amen. <laughs> okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Sometimes people try to spiritualize that, hmm, rich spiritually, surely. Can't mean rich in monetary terms. Well, the, the, the chapter is actually speaking about money, so you can't suddenly bring in another thought. You can't do that. All right. So Paul the Apostle did speak about uh, wealth, did speak about money, and he tells us here that Jesus Christ became poor. And actually, he was absolutely poverty-stricken when he hung on the cross. When did he become poor? When they hung him on the cross, they took everything away from him. Sometimes people say that, oh, Jesus became poor when he left heaven. No, 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 no. Jesus was doing quite well economically on the earth. He was, uh, boy, he takes out 5,000 people for lunch. I mean, you try that and bring out your checkbook and see how you get on. And then on another occasion, take out a few, more, few thousand more and, and uh, you know, have a treasurer walk around with him. His name was Judas, and he put his hand in the bag and stole money out of it, and nobody missed it. There was that much money in there. No, no, no. Jesus was not poor. But when they finally captured him and tried him, took everything away from him, and, uh, and uh, what I'm about to say, I'm not trying to be sacrilegious or anything, but they stripped him right down to his underpants when they hung him on the cross. There was nothing left. They took everything from him. And Jesus became poor sacrificially so that you and I, through his poverty, could be made rich. Those days they called it a loincloth. It's all he had on. Everything else was taken from him. In the Amplified Translation, it says, By his poverty you might become enriched and abundantly supplied. God wants to abundantly supply you, not meagerly, abundantly in the coming days. God wants to do it now. God wants to do it in the future, irrespective of the economy of the world. You know, God has demonstrated over and over again and again, about his willingness and his ability to provide for his people, irrespective of the economy. You know, in these days we call it, you know, recession, depression, and the Old Testament, they call it a famine. It's just no food around, famine. In the wilderness, God supplied manna, water, and meat in the form of quail, in the wilderness for the Israelites. There were millions of them out there in the, you know, conservative figures put it around two 
two and a half million. Uh, uh, there was actually not just Israelites. The Bible says that a mixed multitude came with them. They were not, they were, if you like, proselytes from various nations. Uh, they said, oh, we don't like Egypt anymore either. We're coming with you. Well, God fed all of them as well. Upwards to four or five million people. God feeds them all with manna. And he brought meat in the evening in the form of quail. It just flew into the camp and they just picked it up. And it's quail in the evening. And in the morning, there was manna all around them. It's bread in the morning. And they were well fed. And when they needed water and the water that was there was scarce and the water was poisoned and God did a couple of miracles there. But in the end, he said, ah, Moses, why don't you go out there and take that stick in your hand and go over to that big rock that you see and wreck that rock. And when you do, water will come out. And Moses did exactly as God told him. And he wrecked the rock with the stick and water gushed out and they all had water. Imagine how much water you need for three, four, five million people. That wasn't just a little trickle. That was a river coming out of that jolly thing. <laughs> you know, Paul in Corinthians tells us that uh, that rock was actually Christ that followed them around and supplied them. It's amazing. It's amazing. God supplied oil and flour for the widow of Seraphath. 1 Kings chapter 17. Marvelous story. God says to Elijah the prophet, he says, go up to Seraphath. I've commanded a woman there. She's a widow to feed you. Look after you. So he goes up there, finds the woman. He says, oh, he says, woman, fetch me a little water. And, 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 and as she turns around to get him water, she says, oh, and while you're there, go and, go and fetch me a morsel of bread. She says, I have no bread. She says, all I have got is a handful of flour and a little bit of oil, and I'm just out and about to gather a couple of sticks so I can make a fire, bake one piece of small bread for my son and I to eat, and then we're going to die because that's the last of it. We have nothing left. These are famine days. And Elijah says to her, he says, go and do what you've said, woman, but bring me a morsel of bread first. And then uh, he says, your bin of flour will not run out and your jar of oil will not run dry until it rains because these were famine days. So the prophet declared the word of the Lord. She stepped out on the strength of the prophet's word and the bin of flour did not run out, fed her and her son, the Bible says, for many days. These are depression days, worse. And then oil for the prophet's widow and her two sons, Second Kings chapter 4. We don't have time to turn there, but let me tell you the story. This woman comes now to Elisha, the prophet. She says, uh, she says I'm... I'm one of the wives of, of one of the prophets, your servant, but he's died. I'm now a widow. And I got two sons, and I got debts, and the creditors are coming, and I got no money to pay. They're going to take my two boys and put them into slavery just to pay off the debt. And he says to her, woman, what do you have in your house? She says, I've got nothing in my house but a little bit of oil. We're talking about supernatural territory here. And we headed into the into the days where it's supernatural territory. 
He says, go and borrow some vessels. And don't borrow just a few. Borrow many vessels. Gather them together and start pouring from the little bit of oil that you got. Fill up the vessels. It was absolutely supernatural. Talk about a, a miracle of multiplication. And she sent the boys out and bring in vessels from the neighbors, you know, empty oil jars, empty bottles, whatever they had, and they started pouring oil, and they poured it, and they poured it, and they poured it, and it kept on pouring, and they filled all the vessels. She says, give me another one. The boy said, there's no, there's no more. And when they said, uh, when they said uh, okay, no more, then at that moment the oil stopped running. If they had had a bigger vision of God's provision, they could have had more oil. Sometimes we limit God with just small thinking and anti-prosperity attitudes or worse, anti-prosperity comments, knocking holes in the message, limits us, reduces us to our own ability. This woman would have died. Her sons would have died in slavery. And then she comes back to the prophet he says, he says, okay, woman, he says, sell some of the oil and pay off your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. So this this depression days, and she's now in business. This is a new enterprise. The widow's oil. <laughs> widows and, and sons, uh, yeah, they're oil, oil business. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Paul says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It doesn't say, My God might supply. It doesn't say, My God maybe will supply. It says, My God shall supply. You know, in our house, when Vanessa and I had, we got married and we had small children and we had a mortgage, and we understand when the pinch comes on. And then furthermore, we decided that later on we were going to send the kids to private school. And I always remember when Vanessa sat down with her sister one day just to help her out with the budget a little bit because, boy, money was tight. And yet we honor God every Sunday without fail, without tithe and without offering, which has never missed. We never missed a tithe. And then Vanessa's sister was actually quite good with money. Uh, just looked at this thing and says, says, you can't live. She says, you, you can't pay your bill. You can't live. We always paid our bills on time. We were never late. We never missed a mortgage payment. We always had food on the table. Sometimes it might have not been what, you know, sort of, High-end stuff, but we always feed our, 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 our kids. You know, this verse of Scripture here, Philippians chapter 4.19, would it be fair to say that that's a sentence? You know, my older son, you know, when, when boys grow up and they start to learn words and then they string a few words together and they say a phrase, this sentence here, it's the first sentence, the whole sentence that he's spoken his whole life because we, we're sitting at the table and we've just gave, given thanks and we declared that our God shall, and he finished the sentence and he just rattled the whole thing off. I don't know how old he was, but it was like 
It's like, how, how is he able to do that? Well, he heard it all the time. In our house, we confess this in the morning, in the evening, during the daytime. We confess Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Our God shall supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We will not be discouraged by looking at our bank account. We will not be discouraged by looking at this, that, or in our pantry. We are just declaring that our God shall supply our needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Sometimes people say that's a good promise. Actually, it's a statement of fact more than a promise. It's a, a, a statement of fact. I'd encourage you to make this a faith declaration for your life and confess it out aloud every day. Even though you might be doing well right now economically, just build your faith. That's what we're saying. You know, we build our faith in the good days so it's working in the lean days because leaner days are coming. There's no doubt about it. I'm not saying it'll come necessarily for you, uh, but it's coming to the population. You know, King David was a man that made some amazing faith declarations. And friends, you know, it's one thing to believe something. It's another thing to declare it. Because the Bible, when we talk about faith and learning how to release our faith, it says faith speaks. We having the same spirit of faith as it is written, so shall we speak. So we need to declare our faith out of our mouth to activate it and to Get a hold of the covenant blessings that God has made available to us. Yeah. Psalm 144, this is a psalm that's been ascribed to David, uh, King David, the, the author of this son. He says, Our sons in their youth will be like well nurtured plants, and our daughters will be like pillars carved to adorn a palace. In other words, we're going to have strong boys and we're going to have pretty girls. All right. <laughs> pretty girls. Whew. Our barns will be filled with every kind of provision. Our sheep will increase by the thousands. And then he had a thought. No, he says by the tens of thousands. In our fields, our oxen will draw heavy loads. When we send out the oxen to bring home things, you know, they will not just have a couple of things on them carrying, uh, you know, on the, on the cart. No, they will be heavy loads. See, King David was a prosperity man. He was a very prosperous man. Actually, his son took prosperity to a whole new level. Solomon was the richest man. He was just, just incredible. And he wasn't ashamed about it. There's no shame. So if you believe in prosperity, don't let them shame you. Our oxen will draw heavy loads. And you know they had enemies all around them. They had challenges going on. He says there will be no breaching of walls, no going into captivity. We will not go into captivity. There will be no slavery for us and our children. No cry of distress in the streets. There are no, no widows running around uh, thinking, alas, we've just eaten the last meal. How are we going to feed our family? There'll be none of that. 
that even the widows will prosper. Blessed is the people of whom this is true, and blessed is the people whose God is the Lord. It's an amazing faith declaration. It's just one of multiple. I just thought I'd bring that in and share that with you, just so to embolden you in the area of faith declarations. Don't say, oh, God, just uh, I'd like to have just $10 so I can buy my lunch today. Friend, raise your vision beyond your lunch. $12 so I can buy chicken for dinner. And friends, I'm not belittling anybody. I'm telling you. And Vanessa and I started out, uh, yeah, I mean, I took quite a hit when I came into ministry, my income. I mean, I took a hit. Uh, uh, more than a third of my income suddenly wasn't there. And I'm not saying this to complain. I'm not saying that we've done well all the way through, but we've trusted God. And we were then in faith territory, a young family, and <laughs> we, ended up buying a, we ended up buying a house. We were in Bible college, and that was sort of a full-time Bible college. Um, it was amazing. There's students there that had to sell their houses to, to keep going, and, uh, and I'm not in any way belittling anybody, but we bought a house in the middle of all of that. Because somehow, by the time we confessed the word, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, and the first 13 verses of uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, where God says that you're blessed in the city you're blessed in the field. Blessed coming in, blessed going out. We confessed that, we confessed it. And when it started to work, boy, it was just amazing to watch. And we decided that as David said here, blessed are the people of whom this is true. Blessed is the people whose God is the Lord. We are blessed because our God is the Lord. Our God is not money. Our God is not our comfort. Our God is not doing our own thing. Our God is the Lord. And Him we shall serve. And Him we shall obey. Because Deuteronomy, the first few verses of chapter 28, says, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. Psalm 37 Here's another one of David's declarations. Psalm 37, verse 18, 19, and then verse 25. It says, day by day, the Lord takes care of the innocent, and they will receive an inheritance that lasts forever. They will not be disgraced in hard times. Here it is. They will not be disgraced in hard times. Even in famine, they will have more than enough. Even in days of famine, they will have more than enough. Once I was young, and this is one of my memory verses, and I confess this quite a bit. I just like it. Here it is. Psalm 37, verse 25. David speaking. Once I was young. Yet now I'm old. <laughs> Yet I've never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. What a faith declaration. Once I was young, <laughs> now I'm old. Never 
have I seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging for bread? I just want to be careful with what I say. I'm not here to put anybody down, but, uh, you know, having to live off the unemployment benefit year after year is a form of beggary. God's made us for something better. If you need to use that facility, it's there. That's what it's there for. But don't sit on it year after year. That is not for God's children. Because our God is much bigger than our government and much better. Our God is a good God. You know, the, our government currently, they're trying to make out they're such wonderful people, yet on, the, on their hearts, some of them are so mean and so nasty. It's just, it's a cry to heaven. When they talk about that abortion bill bringing that thing and voting down aspects of that bill that some of them say, well, let's soften the thing a little bit. Let's, let's, let's at least try to have some painkillers before they rip, rip the, baby, the baby apart in the room. No, some of them said. And then one other question that was asked is, will we provide assistance to a, a baby that survives an abortion? No, they said, we will let the baby die. Don't tell me they're good people. Don't tell me. Every single one of them that voted for this law are terribly wicked people in their heart. What a tragedy. Whew. Even in famine, they will have more than enough, David said. And then he declared that... Uh, He's never seen God's righteous people forsaken or, or, or their seed or their children begging for bread. We're not beggars. We're king's kids. We're children of the most high God. Our God owns the cattle on the hill. And he owns the hill under, hills under them, somebody said. And God says, all the silver, all the gold is mine. <laughs> You know, we had a prophetic word. We'll write down very shortly. Let me just speak about this for a little bit. Um, the late last year, early this year, I heard a phrase in my spirit. And that was this, uh, you know, we turned into 2020. We moved on from 2019 into 2020. And I heard the phrase 2020, a year of plenty. 2020, a year of plenty. And I'm not one to rhyme things. That's not one of my gifts. I've said this before that it's not, I'm not a, into poetry. That's just not something that I, I haven't got a grace for that. So sometimes I pay attention when something comes up, like, oh, that's quite good. Uh, but this one was like, uh, like I really sensed that God was saying, 2020, he wants it to be a year of plenty. We had Pastor Terry here last year. Many of you remember him. He brought a marvelous word. It's all prophetic utterance. Remember when the woman stepped out on, on when the prophet said, go and get some jars together and do you know, do, do this, do that. She did exactly what he said, and it just worked for her marvelously. You know, the Bible says that we to believe in God, but we also need to believe in the prophets when they speak. 
And the prophetic word was this. God speaking to us through this man. He says, God is sending people, resources, finances, and healing to you as we speak that you could never imagine. He says, your situation is about to change. And then he said, he gave me the word unimaginable. So we've been declaring this. We've been speaking this. But I must say, as far as a church-wide thing, it sort of waned a little bit. I think it's time for us to bring this word up again and start to declare it again, irrespective of what we see going on on the ground. Let me just make a comment around this. Because when we're in the middle of lockdown, I thought, gosh, you know, what's happened here? <laughs> Didn't know this was coming. I thought this was going to be a year of plenty. And actually, we're still doing quite well. <laughs> but as I say, there is some other days coming. And I thought about this word here. And then, you know, there's one thing that's always amazed me. Where personal prophecy is concerned. I've watched over the, over the years uh, where, you know, somebody gets a powerful word from God. And they're just really encouraged by it, which is the purpose of prophecy. And I've seen it almost like every time, and I think somebody gets a, a powerful word. You know, there is, a, there is a, a minister that comes, looks over a congregation, plucks out one or two people, gives them a powerful word, and to the rest of them, he just preaches. And I think, oh, are these two people special or something? Well, well, no, there's words for everybody, you understand. But here's the deal. I've watched those same people come under such an attack afterwards. And that encouragement that they got from that prophetic utterance was needed to carry them through their tough days. And I thought to myself, here's what's happened. God knew what was coming. So rather than saying, stating fact, bad days are coming, he's saying 2020, a year of plenty. Pick up that word, confess it, declare it, build it into your spirit. God is sending people, resources, finances, unimaginable things are happening. Build that into your spirit because tough days are coming and we're in them right now and they're only going to get tougher economically. So I'd encourage you, pick up those things and make those prophetic utterances your own and let's start to declare those, uh, those things. And really, I can see like I can really see, I can really see how the need for walking by faith is going to get greater and greater. And those who refuse to walk by faith, though they may be Christians, uh, will have to struggle like everybody else does. But I believe that God wants to take us to an entirely new level economically. And if God does and will and will need to burst forth supernaturally into our lives to bring that about, let's use our faith. Hallelujah. Let's use our faith. So with that... Uh, that basically brings us to the end of uh, this message today. I trust that you've been encouraged. The plan is at this stage to carry on next Sunday. Uh, then at some point we'll have Pastor Vanessa come and share a word with us. And uh, so, and then of course uh, in, in the not too distant future there will be a political talk as well. Um, gloves off, get ready for it. Uh, it's not hitting people, it's not hitting you, but it'll be punchy, I can assure you of that now. It will be very punchy. Um, and I will not spare. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I cannot be concerned about your feelings, uh, honestly. Uh, it's, it's a day, we are beyond those days. Where we say, oh, we can't say this because so-and-so likes this part, and so we are beyond those days. We now need to speak 
righteousness into that situation. And I'm trusting God that you're teachable, that you're open, that you're hearing the word of the Lord and that you're hearing the word from the, from the prophets. What are the prophets saying in these days? Because we've got an election coming up. They're saying this upcoming election will determine the future of New Zealand in a mega, mega sort of a way where it will go down further and further into a deeply humanistic, uh, secular direction and making the church more, not just irrelevant, but coming after the church. And by the way, we got uh, these parties that are in power now. They're anti-Christian parties. There's just no other way to put this. Anti-Christian. It's time for us to rise up. Praise God. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the written word of God. We thank you for prophetic utterance. And I declare over your, over your people that the year 2020 is a year of plenty. Lord, we activate this word, this blessing into the life of every person here, into every family, into every business that's represented here. We thank you, Lord God, for young people, uh, Lord, that are studying, be that at school, at university. Lord, that there's plenty flowing in their direction. Lord, that they're blessed beyond measure. That, Lord, you're raising them up economically beyond others around them. And we thank you, God, that, Lord, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 is true today as it was true last year and it'll be true next year, that our God shall supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We decree and we declare God's abundant provision, God's abundant blessing into our lives. That Lord, we, as you said we are in Deuteronomy 28, that we are blessed in the city and we are blessed in the field. We are blessed coming in and we are blessed going out. That our basket is blessed, our storehouse is blessed. The fruit of our womb is blessed, that our children are abundantly blessed, that our bank accounts are blessed, that we're coming out of debt. We cancel debt in Jesus' name. And we declare the abundance of God over your people. And Father, we praise you and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Have a good afternoon. Thanks for watching Victory Christian Center. For more content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Or you can subscribe to our podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Podcasts. Check out our website at victory.net.nz. We'll see you again soon.